You're listening to the 2X Podcast. To my understanding, both of you, both you and Shannon have modeled for, uh, modeled before, modeled for uh, different uh, companies. And I kind of want to know how you guys got into it, specifically how, how, how you found the experience and whether you would recommend it to other people. <laughs> yeah, so in my, I got into modeling actually through joining pageants. So in high school in, how old was I? I think I was 16. <laughs> I competed in my very first pageant. And then part of the pageant is to do a lot of community events. And so I like Googled everywhere how to like volunteer and participate in different community events in my city. And one of the events I saw was a fashion show hosted by Vancouver Fashion Week. And it was like an outdoor fashion show for like a summer street festival that they had. And so I went to the casting <laughs> just for the lulls, like just completely random. I was like, you know what, grab my heels. I'm going to go to the casting because I really need to attend events for my pageant. And I luckily ended up being one of the cast models for the event. So um, my modeling experience is very freelance. So I was never with an agency. I got into it straight up through attending a casting randomly. Um, and I was very into runway. So my, my height in the modeling world is considered actually on the shorter end. So I'm 5'8". I'm in the modeling world, that's considered the shorter end, especially for runway. But I had a really good walk because of my pageant experience. So I walked six seasons of Vancouver Fashion Week. And then that was like, I think you mentioned that I was on Vogue. That was kind of how I got on Vogue because there were photographers that took photos that were eventually placed on Vogue. And that was a pretty big deal for me at the time until, uh, until quite recently in, oh, how, how did you learn? How, how did I learn how to walk? Uh, when I was a kid in China, they had these like modeling catwalk lessons for little kids. So that's like my beginnings of walking is me joining like dance classes and these modeling classes as a kid. I never thought it would translate to adulthood. <laughs> and then how I learned how to walk, I think was mostly through watching YouTube videos <laughs> and just wearing heels and walking back and forth in my living room. <laughs> so that's pretty much how I learned how to walk. Pretty atypical, I'd say, but that's how I learned how to walk the runway. And I think um, through a lot of like videotaping myself and just watching myself in the mirror that's how I like adjusted my walk throughout the years and then my biggest modeling opportunity so my time volunteer for for walking for Vancouver Fashion Week was completely volunteer basis like I was not paid to do that uh, which I don't recommend people to do actually in the long run like don't volunteer yourself as a model because you should be paid for the work that you're doing. I did it because it was like a fun thing. And I was, I didn't mind that I was not paid, but yes, I did spend a lot of time like sitting in the back of like a waiting room, waiting to be casted for certain shows. And I don't recommend that if anyone's seriously thinking about going into modeling, you should get an agency and do all the serious legitimate things so that you're protected and you actually get paid for the time that you do your job. Uh, in 2019, 
um, I was working for Victoria's Secret Pink as the campus rep. And I got a really cool opportunity where they actually, like my biggest modeling experience was they flew me to LA, uh, all expenses paid. And I was paid on top as a model as well, where I modeled for them was for like a photo shoot and a video shoot that was eventually actually placed placed on advertisement campaigns where like if you go to the Robson Victoria's Secret shop and you look at the big screen like my face was on there and like doing things <laughs> that was like the coolest moment of my modeling career <laughs> which is when I got to do this really cool modeling campaign with Victoria's Secret Pink essentially and the the team is super professional because they're <laughs> Victoria's Secret <laughs> uh that was like one of the best experiences I've ever had model uh, working in the modeling industry where everyone treated me with respect <laughs> and I was I was fed very well and like it wasn't uh, it was like very very inclusive and positive environment that I was a part of so that was one of my favorite things I've ever done in my modeling career. <laughs> but I, I would say like nowadays, like I don't do it as a job. Uh, if there are freelance opportunities that come up that are like as crazy as this Victoria's Secret one, like of course I would do it. <laughs> but otherwise, I modeling industry is tough. Like you have to, or at least in the past, you have to be a certain size and look. Nowadays, I think it's more open. And that's one thing that like, I would tell everyone to be aware of is that it's going to be a tough time <laughs> if you seriously want to do modeling because a lot of the times they do want you to look a certain way. And you're constantly, I constantly felt like I had to like lose weight for certain things, which I don't think is actually healthy. So it's a tough environment to be a part of. and you have to be very strong mentally to do actual modeling modeling. I, I don't know if Shannon has anything to add on this. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Can you hear me now or is it still? No, you can't hear me. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I feel like it does, it is something that you have to prepare yourself for like mentally too. It kind of brings can bring down your self-esteem quite a bit because you're just like you're surrounded by all these like like beautiful models like all the time and you just like compare yourself to everyone else but um yeah no I I just started modeling earlier this year so I haven't really done as much um but one thing I'm excited for now is Vancouver Fashion Week that you mentioned I'm going to be doing that um in a few weeks time. So that's why I was curious about how you learned how to walk and everything. Cause we just had our training last night and um, it was kind of tough. So like walking in heels and just like doing it properly, it looks easy, but there's like so many little like techniques to it. So yeah, no, I think that's super cool that you learned um, how to do that. Um, so you touched on body image and, and and the pressure to, to kind of stay skinny or maintain a certain figure. Um, I'm wondering how kind of pervasive this is um, in, in the uh, runway modeling industry and whether people who can't maintain a certain kind of body figure or weight, um, do they get uh, kind of edged out by, by some of the other uh, competition or is it not as a cutthroat as that? I think one great thing about the modeling industry now that I'm seeing is that change is happening. 
they are more inclusive to bodies, more inclusive to ethnicities, more inclusive to models of different height. And that's a really, really great thing. However, I do think that when I was trying to get into the modeling industry, you do have to fit a certain size and a certain height to be a part of it. I wouldn't say it's like get edged out. Like if you think of it from a business perspective, the reason why they do that is that when designers are making clothes, like I'm talking about specifically for runway modeling, when designers are making clothes for the runway, they design with the same size in mind. So then when models are casted, they're ideally all the same size. So they can fit whatever clothes that the designer designs for. And so that's the reason why, um, like logically it makes sense for everyone to be a same size because it would be easier for these designers to make these clothes beforehand. However, you can also argue that why can't these designers just make body inclusive clothes <laughs> for everyone, right? That That's another thing that like, we need to be aware of though, or like be honestly, like constantly thinking about when we walk through the world and do these things, like why don't we make clothes that are body inclusive um, that everyone can wear from like the smallest sizes to larger sizes, right? So I think that's like a bigger question then. It's not just about like the modeling industry, it's about just fashion in general. Like we should be more inclusive in sizing. I don't think it's necessarily like people get like edged out because they can't keep a certain figure. It's just how the fashion industry is in general. And you want the change to come from top to bottom. And if that doesn't change models at the end of the day, we'll have to stay in the same size. And it's really not fair for the rest of the world to look at because in real life, people are different sizes, different shapes, different colors. There's no like cookie cutter person. And so modeling in that sense, it's just like a make-believe world <laughs> of people. And, and so if you look at it from that lens, it's, it's a pretty like negative way to look at modeling. But to me, modeling has also, it's a very fun time. That, like the way I look at modeling, it was, it was a really great time where I like got to play dress up and wear all these random unique pieces from all over the place and that was like a really really cool time so if you don't look at it from the body perspective you look at it from just you're there to appreciate art and fashion yeah you can have a really great time and there's definitely no pressure to stay skinny because it you're not there for that purpose it doesn't matter to it didn't matter to me that I was the shortest and probably the bigger girls <laughs> sounds crazy in the in a fashion show. So it really depends on how you look at modeling when you get into it as a model. Um, and it also really depends on how well your agency protects you and if your agency forces you to lose weight. So ideally don't join an agency that forces you to do that. But I don't know how many agencies exist like that in the world and it's just sad and I think change should happen from top down, if at all possible. So you mentioned, so somebody at Vancouver Fashion Week, when you were walking down the runway, they took your picture. Um, and you said later on, they those pictures were, were included uh, in, in, in Vogue, uh, which is crazy. 
Um, how did you feel about that? What were your, what were the emotions running through your head? Was it surreal seeing um, your, some of your photos appear uh, in print? Yeah, it was absolutely insane seeing, seeing myself um, in Vogue. <laughs> it definitely is like with anything, seeing yourself in these big fashion magazine, like, cause I, I saw myself in the Vogue website and that was crazy for me because I n- never thought that this random volunteer experience would get me in vogue. Um, like was my experience for VS Pink as well. It's always surreal seeing yourself in like a big screen. <laughs> um, but that's like the fun of modeling. <laughs> you see yourself blasted in these like major things that you never thought to see yourself in. And I'm like very grateful very, very grateful for these opportunities and experiences because I know that I'm very lucky and not like everyone to can get the same experiences I, I've gotten in my past life. Okay, um, so I actually stalked your Instagram a little bit um, and I saw like all your videos from like the pageants you've done and I saw also like you, there was one video where you were doing like Um, this dance routine and also doing like some like Shaolin like sword fighting routine and I thought that was really really cool so if you want to talk a bit about just um, like your experience in pageants and what exactly it is because I feel like sometimes people um, they kind of have an idea of what a pageant is it's some sort of like modeling thing but like even I I'm not really sure exactly what constitutes a pageant because I feel like it's more than that too. It's very similar to what you see on tv like there's a evening gown portion there's often like a swimsuit competition and then if you get to the top five there's an on-stage Q&A and then there's a lot of things also that you don't see on TV which is the prep work or the competitions before the televised portion and that is the interview with the judges and then for a national pageant there often is some volunteering aspect involved with it Uh, you have to do a certain amount of volunteer work uh you have to fundraise for the national charity almost always and then with certain pageants there's often a advocacy that you should be advocating for and so what that means is it's like a platform of things that you are very passionate about and you want to talk about and advocate to your community and so what that cause may be it can include uh like body image it can include like like mental health um physical health um different any topic you can pretty much make it into an advocacy so for example this year i've seen a lot of people with advocacies on like stopping asian hate that's a that's a big thing and it can also be on like national and international issues essentially so there's a lot of things that you're judged on for a pageant that's not the glitz and glam on stage part that I really appreciate and then the other cool thing about pageants that I also really appreciated was when I competed in a lot of these things you got to meet people around the country across the country so uh, I competed in Miss World Canada before and basically when you're at the national competition there's girls representing every province And I've also had the opportunity to represent Canada at an international pageant before. So there was one girl from every country and there were 50 countries represented. So 
I was interacting with like Miss Vietnam, Miss Australia, Miss Netherlands. Now everyone spoke like different languages, but you're all friends. <laughs> and it's that's like the weirdest thing and craziest, weirdest, but most valuable thing I got out of the experience is knowing that language is not a barrier for friendship. Like you can make, it sounds super cliche, but you can make friends without even speaking their language. And that's just a really cool part about that experience for me. And then, uh, so I've competed in nine pageants. <laughs> Actually, I recently wow. counted. Uh, last year, I was in Miss Chinese Vancouver. Yeah. And then uh, that pageant had a bit, big portion in the talent competition. So then that's where I did my dance and sword fighting combo talent. And um, every, every pageant, there is often a talent competition. Just most of them are optional. Last year was mandatory, but I love the talent portion of all uh, pageants because I'm very into performance art. <laughs> so last year I choreographed this sword fighting piece with a real Shaolin Kung Fu master. And he's an actual monk that resides in Vancouver. And he's my, he's my master. And he taught me this entire combo, which I helped choreograph and weave in with other dance aspects. And I also put in like a piano and a violin part with this whole thing. Uh, so that was like a really fun project for me to do. And then at the end, I actually got the talent award um, for that competition. And that's actually the first time I won talent of the nine pageants that I did. So I did talent competition for every single pageant that I've done, but that was the first time I ever actually got the award. So that was really, really cool and really awesome. Uh, but my pageant experience has been very, very positive. It's made me very confident and very into public speaking. <laughs> so prior to that, I think I was more I was very introverted before joining a pageant, actually. And then doing a pageant made me very outgoing um, and very, very into just getting to know people, see where they're from, and just knowing their stories and how to connect better with these people. So this is that it was a really, really cool opportunity for me to do all of this. And if anyone ever wants to join pageants, I'm like more than happy to share my experiences and answer any questions. What would you say was the biggest benefit for you um, for joining all of these pageants? And then also, what do you think that the biggest overall purpose of a pageant is? Like, is it, um, is it kind of to showcase this advocacy for certain issues? Is it an opportunity for people to just develop themselves? Um, what what do you think like the biggest purpose for you and like overall for pageants for me personally I think the biggest benefit to joining a pageant was learning about the really cool things other girls who are joining the pageants that have done and seeing how I can also learn to do these cool things whether it's like a philanthropic effort to help my community or rather whether that be to build myself to be a better person and meeting these really cool people it have motivated me inspired me to be a better person and I, that's one of the biggest benefits for me and then as for biggest purpose of pageants overall I think is to inspire and motivate women from all walks of life to 
be more confident and just learn and always grow together. And that's something that I think pageants nowadays are is to empower other women to be the best version of themselves. And I've really learned quite a lot from these people that I've met in the pageants or watching other girls um, do their philanthropic efforts with their community. Because philanthropy is a very big thing for pageants nowadays. And that is one aspect that I really, really value as well as just being successful in life. There's a lot of girls who do pageants who are very, very successful in their like their career-wise, their academic uh, background. And those are things that we can always learn and grow from. And it's inspired me and motivated me every day. That's great. So right now you're, uh, you're doing a master's at Cambridge, which is, uh, I'm super jealous, by the way. Congratulations um, on your, your program and, and getting in. Um, I hear it's super nice there this time of year. Um, I'm curious what... Um, what made you choose Cambridge? What made you choose your program? And for those who are unfamiliar with your program, if you can quickly um, tell us what you do, um, that'd be great too. And I'm also curious to know how does uh, the Cambridge community, their student population um, and their culture compared to the UBC culture and UBC people and UBC students? I actually chose Cambridge because in my second year summer, I went on exchange at Cambridge. Uh, and I love the experience here and it was it was a, an amazing two months uh, one of my favorite two months of my undergrad so when I applied for grad school it was very obvious that this was the institution that I was definitely going to apply to and as for my program and MPhil in education I chose this program because I ideally at the end of this I want to continue and work in the education sector. Uh, my parents actually work in the education sector. And then I myself learned a lot working for UBC, uh, working in student groups at UBC. And it'd be really cool to work at UBC in the future or just anywhere in general that is education-based because I really believe in the idea of giving back to the next generation and have them grow. And it just feels very fulfilling when I see that happen. And then in terms of how does Cambridge people compare to UPC people, <laughs> I mean, we're all people. <laughs> uh, people are actually very international here as well. This is one thing that I wasn't expecting because UBC is a very international campus. And so, so is Cambridge. And that was very nice because uh, I, I really appreciate an international campus because you see people from all over the place and you get to connect with people from all types of backgrounds. And that's one thing that I really enjoyed. But <laughs> compared to UBC people, I think we're all people. <laughs> There's different types of cool people anywhere you go. <laughs> so it's just a matter of uh, how you interact and find these pockets of people anywhere you go. <laughs> so that's kind of my two cents on that. <laughs> you mentioned earlier before we started the podcast that there was um, a bit of a different kind of like going out party culture at Cambridge versus UBC. So I'm just curious about that. I think right now with like COVID rules loosening with everyone uh, that are, with more people that are vaccinated uh, here compared to back in Vancouver, I think like the pub culture is really big here. 
And then there's quite a lot of clubs on campus here, which is quite different from UBC. Like there's no clubs on campus at UBC and there's not that many pubs on campus at UBC either. Whereas here it's like, it, align, it lines the streets and it's kind of wild. Uh, in terms of like the culture, I think like was everywhere, like it was the first years, it's like a big deal for people to go out. And then the other thing is the legal drinking age here is different from back home. So in entire like Europe, I don't know, people start drinking when they're like pretty early on. So stuff like that um, happened quite a lot here. And it's a fun time to go out and have a few drinks with friends like after school. It's like quite, quite the norm here, I think. Uh, but I mean, if you're not like a drinker, and you like coffee and tea, that's also a really big thing here. So there's a variety of things that you can do uh, and all your free time at night, <laughs> if you so wish to go out, <laughs> which is quite nice. <laughs> there's a lot more people, I think here as compared to like back home, because the, the population is a lot bigger and it's a tourist town. So there's a lot of tourists that come here as well. And I think right now, most tourists are like within UK or Europe, just because traveling is still pretty restricted. But yeah, it's a tourist town too. So you get a variety of people that come here all the time. Do you get red when you drink? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. That's why I always like go out with full, full coverage foundation. So... <laughs> You can't see it. <laughs> see, you guys, uh, you guys get the advantage because you guys can put on makeup and, and cover it. I don't have that, so I'm. I mean, you could. I could. <laughs> I could. I. I. It's just, uh, just not, uh, not something I do. Um. So after like one beer, I get red, and um, people just kind of assume that I'm already hammered when I'm really not. Um. But it's uh, it's the struggle. It's the genetics. Okay. Um, so how did you decide from going from doing a bachelor's in visual arts and computer science, which is already like very, two very different things to going into an MPhil in education? Like how did, what was like your thought process behind that? And also how different is it being in a master's program versus a bachelor's? Is it pretty much like start, does it feel kind of the same as like when you're starting a bachelor's or is, you know, is everyone older? Everyone's more matured like how is that difference yeah so my undergrad was on visual arts and computer science and then my MPhil in education actually specializes in arts creativity and education so that's oh, kind of the part oh that ties in with my undergrad so yes. I think like if my major was visual arts I was like very interested to know what other aspects can I apply arts and creativity to and this was like kind of the perfect program for me so it talked about how the arts and creativity perspective and fits in with the education lens and I really love that about this program which is why I picked it and in terms of how different it is well right now I've only been in my master's program for two weeks so from the two weeks that I've been here what I can say is it's very self-directed rather than from bachelor's. So like my entire year, I only have three assignments. However, the three assignments are 
an essay due at the first term, an essay due at the second end of second term, and a dissertation due at the end of the third term. And then the first essay is about like four to 6,000 words. Second essay is 6,000 words. And the dissertation is 15,000 words. So <laughs> they're huge things, but they're very self-directed and they provide you with a lot of resources for you to conduct this research. And that's one thing that's really fascinating to me because this is such a research heavy institution. They have a lot of tools and a lot of resources to help students on that sense. And that's very different for me because every day I feel like I could be doing nothing and I could be going to the library and doing a lot of research. It's very self-directed. It's very up to you on how you want to do and organize your own schedule. That's like a big thing. Whereas bachelors, you are assigned things to do regularly and every day. You might not like it, but um, you are assigned things to do. And so that's like the biggest difference there. Yeah, which is also nice in a way. Like I can't imagine having one essay the whole term. That's what your whole grade takes on. Mm -hmm. well, switching kind of from like a more micromanagement environment to something that's more self-directed. Um, I think um, personally, I, I think I would prefer the more self-directed independent uh, uh, option, but I don't know about you. I, I think I prefer the self-directed method more. Just personally, I really like organizing my own day based on what I want to do. And then with this program, you're researching on something. Ideally, you're researching on something that you are actually passionate about yourself. So that's one aspect that I really enjoy because your research is defined. The barriers and the constraints are defined by yourself. And you are ideally researching on a topic that you are very passionate about. Whereas bachelors, you could fully be taking classes that you do not care for. And that just sucks. <laughs> and I like that you get to learn what you truly want to learn from this program. I'm wondering what the food differences are between Vancouver uh, and the UK where you are. Um, do you eat like uh, a lot of fish and chips? Is it really good there? Is that like the stereotype true? Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of tell us more about the food. Yeah. So I, I live in a college and then the college has its own cafeteria. And I don't really cook, so I eat there all the time. And then in terms of like differences in food, I eat a lot of beans, actually. <laughs> I don't think I ever eat beans in Vancouver, but beans is like my main source of food, actually. I eat beans almost every other meal. Um, it's funny you say fish and chips, because that's actually what I ate today. I ate fish and chips today. <laughs> every Friday in the cafeteria, they serve fish and chips. So today was my fish and chips day. And then tomorrow is brunch. So we get English beans, English bacon. So it actually looks like ham. It's not bacon. And then there is hash browns and like a pastry. So it's quite different from my, what I eat back home. But I, I like beans. So it is perfectly fine for me <laughs> to be eating that every day. Awesome. So um, for, for those of you joining us who... Um are not uh, involved in academia. Part of applying um, for a master's program oftentimes is that you have to find a supervisor to supervise your um, research work or supervise your, your graduate level um, work. Um, so Ariel, I kind of want you to tell us about the process for 
finding a supervisor at Cambridge of all places, um, whether it was a competitive process, how difficult it was, and whether um, your relationship with your supervisor now is, is good, um, or if you have any comments about that. This is actually a great question. So for finding a supervisor, I think depending on your program or like, at least what I know, most of the programs here in Cambridge, they actually assign you a supervisor. So I don't have a say on who my supervisor is, completely random. I have no idea if they're good or bad. It's randomly assigned. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of tips, uh, have good luck. (laughs) Don't have any tips on that one. Uh, But my relationship with my supervisor, this is a great question because I actually have not been assigned my supervisor yet. So in this coming week, I will be reaching out to my department and trying to facilitate that relationship with my supervisor because the the supervisor is actually really important in this degree uh, since every term I have to have at least three hours with my supervisor for them to look over my research and give me feedback Mm -hmm. and so I want to say the supervisor is like the person that is like my guidance counselor throughout my degree so if I don't have this person I don't know what I would do so I am actually kind of in a pickle right now because I need to know who my person is before I actually start my research and that's an issue that I would be trying to resolve this coming week with my department <laughs> mm. this is a great question <laughs> interesting I, I didn't know I didn't know uh, Cambridge assigned supervisors but I feel like that's more convenient because it gives you kind of the peace of mind that you don't have to go through the the supervisor hunting process um, but at the same time it's also kind of a, a roll of the dice yeah yeah the benefits would be I don't have to that's totally true yeah also the luck thing I don't know yeah I I I don't know I kind of like that because I I mean like I wouldn't even know what I would look for (laughs) for a supervisor (laughs) like honestly I wouldn't even know what I would look for so um I'm kind of glad that I'm just assigned a person but I I hope this person will be a good fit with me (laughs) Awesome. So we talked about a lot today, Ariel, and I just want to take the moment now to thank you so much for your time. Um, Before we end off, I'm going to ask you one last question. um, And it's something that we ask all of our our guests here on the podcast. Um, If you had to give one rule or piece of advice for our listeners to live by, what would that piece of advice be? If I could give one rule or piece of advice, I would say, don't be afraid to try new things. I constantly live by this rule. I am always doing all the randomest things that you can think of. And time is a very valuable thing and you should take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way. So don't be afraid to try new things. Thank you everybody for joining us on our second episode of our second season of the Crew X by 2X podcast. Today, we were talking to Ariel Cow about a variety of different topics. If you would like to hear more podcasts like these in the future, be sure to tune in. We post and upload on Spotify and Apple Podcasts under the same name. Thank you and have a great day. You're listening to the 2X Podcast.